Hey, I want to welcome those on Facebook Live and if you're watching, join us. Thank you for doing so. And uh, he is risen. He's risen. There you go. That's right. He is. And we're here to celebrate a Resurrection Sunday. And uh, to get us started off this morning, John McCann is going to lead us in worship. So I'm going to turn it over to him. John, please lead us in worship. Take it in. 
that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin <clears throat> my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, my God, how great Thou art, and sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great Thank you, John. Again, I want to welcome those uh, who may have joined us on Facebook, and we're just delighted to be here. This is a this is a glorious Sunday. This is the time that we just celebrate our risen Savior. I mean, it's just a glorious and great day, and um, I'm so glad to be here with you, and love to open the Word of God and just share that with you this morning as we just celebrate this resurrection. And uh, apart from this, <laughs> we are wasting our time, and we're going to talk about what Paul had to say about that as we wrap this up. So let me pray us in and we'll get started. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is truth. It's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And we thank you for that. And we stand on that word as we come here this morning to celebrate this Resurrection Sunday. That the, Just the magnificent end, the culmination of Holy Week. And, and apart from this, we are still, as Paul said, we are, pitted, we are most of all to be pitied and lost in our sin. And so, Father, thank you for saving us and thank you for this glorious resurrection that just seals us. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, what I wanted to do was to um, just spend a few minutes and kind of culminate Holy Week here. This was Holy Week, and last Sunday was Palm Sunday, right? And, talked about that, and I preached on that, the, the donkey, and all the things that went on, and how on Sunday they're proclaiming him king, 
you know, hallelujah, the king has come, and throwing down the palm branches in their coats, and all the things that they did on Sunday, and then on Friday they killed him. And it's an interesting number of days there, five days that pass when all that happens. And so a couple of years ago what I did was I went through and studied every day what happened during those days. And I'm not going to talk about that all today because I don't have time. I want to get to what we're here to celebrate. And I want to talk about these crosses on Friday. But we know that during that time that Jesus went to the temple and he, t- he taught, he did miracles and he healed. And then he left the temple for the last time. And that was significant because the, the glory of God, what they call the Shekinah glory of God, left the temple, Solomon's temple, in 586 B.C. The Babylonians had just overrun in the final siege. They began sieging Jerusalem in 605 and then 596. And in 586, there finally was that last siege, and they destroyed everything, including Solomon's temple. But the glory of God had already left there, meaning he had just left the Israelites, because he told them for all those hundreds of years, you know, enough is enough. And I think that's where we are today. Enough is enough. There's a time when God finally says enough. And so his glory left that temple. When Jesus left the temple, now this was Herod's temple. In the New Testament, what we have is Herod's temple. You remember, if you remember your Old Testament history and going back into Daniel, Zerubbabel, the king gave Zerubbabel permission to go back to the ruin of Jerusalem and start to rebuild the temple. And they did. But it was it was a pale imitation of Solomon's temple, obviously. But that was the second temple. So over the course of those hundreds of years, when Herod took over as king, and Herod was king, you know, when Jesus was born, and as we get into all that, Herod built up, in order to please the Jews, Herod kept building and adding to this temple. And so this magnificent temple, and it was magnificent, was Herod's temple. It was not the temple of Solomon. That one had been completely destroyed. When Jesus left Herod's temple for that last time, he had said what, you know, that he'd already told him, you know, tear it down and I'll build it back up in three days which was that you know, prophecy of what he was going to do with his body, the temple, not the physical temple, and they were confused. But when he left that last time, the glory of the Lord left that temple again for the final time. And so Jesus was crucified in about 33 A.D. In 70 A.D., under Nero, the emperor, this general went in and absolutely utterly destroyed Herod's temple and did not leave one rock left on top of another one. That was Herod's temple. That was 70 A.D. So in 586 B.C., the glory of God left the temple. In in 70 A.D., it was totally destroyed. Jesus walked out in 33. So the glory of the Lord had left the temple altogether, and God said, I've had enough. But that's not the end of the story, as we know. He was just fed up with his people, the disobedience, the idolatry, the ongoing things that that's just their life, right? They, he would forgive them, they'd come back, they'd get restored, they'd make their sacrifices. And in fact, that's what they were doing when they went there for Passover, right? They all went to Jerusalem for Passover, and they were going to make their sacrifices, because they still did that, it was still a sacrificial system. The Romans let them do that. And they would kill them, and they'd shed the blood and all that, and then their sins would be cleansed, excuse me, they'd be covered, they'd be covered, and that was the system. But Jesus had told them, this is not how it's going to work. There's going to be a final ultimate sacrifice, and that's what he was, as we know. So that's kind of what's going in there in those days. Now, on Thursday, and by the way, it's important to understand that the Jewish day was 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. the next day. 
The reason they did that, just uh, FYI, and when God created heaven and earth in Genesis 1, it said that it was what? It said it was evening and morning the first day. It was evening and morning the second day. And so the Jews took that to mean that the day starts when God said it was evening, which was 6 p.m. to them, and then started again. And so that's why the Jewish day started at 6 p.m. The Roman time was midnight to midnight. So the Romans set that up. Same with the calendar. And we talk about today as Nissan 10, like Nissan the car. Nissan 10 is the Jewish month. It overlaps with March, April. It's not set on the same time. The Roman calendar is January through December. You know, Ju- July, I'm born in July. That's, you know, Julio, Jul- Julius Caesar, August is Caesar Augustus. They all named the month after themselves because they were emperors and arrogant and all that. So that's how the Roman calendar came in. But this was why the, the Passover was going to come on that Friday. Um, there were actually two Passovers. I won't get you bogged down in that. But one of the reasons that the, um, the Pharisees, this is interesting, were so um, set on getting Jesus down off that cross, you know, he was crucified, we're going to talk about in a minute, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., those six hours. They wanted him dead and off that cross because at 6 p.m. on Friday, that's actually Saturday morning to them. Well, that was a Sabbath. Well, you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. Now, you could murder this guy all the way up to that point, but by 6 p.m., they wanted him out of there and nothing else being done with him because it was the Holy Sabbath. So I thought that was kind of ironic. But that's what's going on all during that week. When we get to the crucifixion, I want to focus today on these three crosses, and uh, that's kind of what the title of the lesson was, Three Empty Crosses, Which One is Yours? And... I taught something like this years ago, and, and it's such a foreboding title that I ended up putting back in there, The Hope of the Cross, because most people would look at this and say, the three empty crosses, um, you know, what's up with that? I mean, what, what do you mean which one is mine? Now, in, um, it's interesting because pe- some people, and again, most of you here are church people, you've been in it all your lives, you know a lot about this. But a lot of people don't understand. They don't know what crucifixion is. They don't know why there was crucifixion and what it was and who invented it. And it actually was not the um, it wasn't the Romans that created it. But what is said in history is that they perfected it. And even their own historians wrote how heinous and cruel they had made it as a way to put someone to death. And so that's what that's what the Romans did with it. But what it meant was one thing. It meant death, right? It meant a humiliating, public, horrible, awful death. And so that's why when he was doing, during his ministry, when Jesus told those following him, you know, take up your cross and follow me. Well, that's also when you'll read soon thereafter, and and many left him and didn't follow him anymore because they knew what that meant, right? They knew that that meant death. And so I said, well, you're, you're, we like the ride, following you around, you're doing all these miracles, you're creating food out of nothing, and, and you're feeding all these people, and we're getting all these props because we're riding along with the disciples. thought this was a sweet ride. It was. For three years, it was great. And they kept telling them along the way, intermittently, and you read in the Gospels, listen now, this is going to end. It's going to end badly, but then it's going to be really great. And they didn't follow that. They didn't understand that at all. And we know those stories. And throughout, he kept telling them, look, you know, here's what's going to happen. They're going to hate me. They're going to hate you because of me. They're going to kill me, and then they're going to kill you too. So come on, let's go. And obviously a lot of people left. 
And then we know in the upper room they had the Last Supper. That was on Thursday night. Uh, some suggest there were two Passovers, because you, you'll get people arguing. I studied this a number of years ago. Wow. You can make a great story that Jesus was actually crucified on Thursday and Wednesday was all this stuff happening, not Friday. And you can read these. It is, it'll make your brain explode. It's amazing. And, and it's all interesting because they go back into the, you know, the Greek and Hebrew, what it meant and the days and the calendars. And I thought, you know what? I grew up with this. This is what I believe it says. So we don't believe it's Good Friday. It says it was crucified on a Friday, so we're going to leave it at that. But, but on Thursday evening, that's when he had the Passover, which actually became then Friday morning. As we went into that, so after the Passover, um, what did they do? He washed their feet. So he washed their feet, and then he gave them this new command. And this is kind of what he wrapped it up with them. And all that discourse, that upper room discourse, it takes up most of the book of John, by the way. And he said, look, I've told you all these things. You know you're supposed to love Lord your God, the Shema. Love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. But I've got another one for you. You know, you need to love one another as I have loved you. That's the new command. Everything else that was in there was already in the Torah. It was in the Old Testament. It was in the law. There was nothing new about love your neighbor as yourself. That was already in the law. Love the Lord your God. That was already in the law. What was new and different, that new command was, as I have loved you. That was a deal buster. And it still is for us today. I really struggle with that sometimes. So I think, Lord, as I have loved you. Because that's to death, right? And then he added on that one um, that really is, is troubling to me, love your enemies. I, I did a series, it was last summer, on the five loves. And, and that's the hardest one to teach because it's the hardest one to apply. You know, we live in a world that is really, really in a bad place. And, um, and these are our enemies. They are absolutely our enemies. And yet Jesus said, love your enemies. And um, that's a hard one. And then he said, love one another as I have loved you. That was that last great command. So at that point, they left. They go to Gethsemane. He falls on his face, begins to pray. says, pray with me. Comes back, they're asleep. I can relate to that. I can relate to that, you know. He's going to pray for an hour. An hour? Come on, I, can, I got three minutes in me. I got three, maybe I can go five. Maybe I can get ten out of it, but I pray for an hour. I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer group where you've tried to emulate that that's years ago, where you actually try to pray for an hour. That is hard. It's just, I mean, that's really hard. I, I think we're, well, Gigi would testify that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wired. I have trouble staying focused for about two minutes, but an hour, um, that's a long time. And he kept coming back, and they were asleep, and finally he gets arrested. You know, Judas has left the betray him, and he gets arrested. And one of my favorite stories is where Peter, Obodacious Peter, whacks off Malchus's ear, right? The servant takes out a sword, whacks out his ear. And by the way, they did have swords. They took two swords with him, you may recall. They weren't unarmed. Um, but Jesus reaches down, takes that ear, puts it back on. <laughs> I think that's the most amazing thing. And these guys all fall back. He said, wait, wait a second. He just cut off his ear and he just put it back on. And why are we here? What are we supposed to do? Arrest this guy because he's a heretic. He's a whatever. And... He's a traitor to Rome and all those things that they accused him of. And so and then they took him, of course, and um, started that horrible, awful process of beating and all the stuff that just is hard to, really hard to watch on that um, Passion of the Christ that's so vivid and literal. I was saying, I just can't watch that stuff. It's almost too, 
too much for me, but that's what it was, you know, and so... So the crucifixion was limited to two kinds of people. Uh, traitors against Rome and murderers are really, really uh, repetitive, severe criminals. It wasn't for your average Joe Blow criminal. It wasn't. And so Jesus had to be counted among one of those two. And we know that during the trials, there were six trials. There were three by the Jews, by the way, and they all found him guilty. And there were three by the Romans, and they all found him innocent which is interesting, the Jews really, really wanted him dead. That's where we find him, and I want to pick it up now uh, in Matthew 27 and, and set the stage for the, the crucifixion on Friday with the three crosses, okay? Because that's going to, what we're going to talk about for a few minutes here. So I'm going to read in Matthew 27, 38, 42. <clears throat> Probably should put my glasses on here. At that time, two robbers, criminals was what some of the translations call them different things, were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. And those passing by were hurling and abuses at him. They're wagging their heads and saying, uh, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. You're the son of God. Come down from that cross. And in the same way, the chief priests also came along, the scribes and the elders, and they mocked him saying, he saved others. He can't even save himself. He's a king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And here's the key. And the robbers, those two criminals, on the right, one on the right and one on the left, who had been crucified with him, were also insulting him with the same words. So we go from a period of time where he's on the cross. Again, the, the, the hours are 9 in the morning until 3 p.m., and during that first three hours, 9 to 12, everybody's assaulting him, just throwing, mocking him, all that stuff, the verbal emotional abuse, I guess you'd call it today, including these two robbers. It's, we're going to see how that changes in a few minutes, and it's one of the most amazing stories in all the Bible, I think. But both of these criminals, one on either side, were doing the same thing. They were just joining right in, which is interesting because they're hanging there just like him. They're nailed to the cross, just like him. They're dying, just like him. And they're just wearing him out. Just wearing him out. Well, so I want to talk for a few minutes first about that cross in the middle, which is obviously the cross of Christ. Because we're, in a, we're leading toward the second cross, which is the one who repented, the, the repentant criminal, and then the unrepentant criminal. And so it, during that time on the cross, there were seven statements of Jesus, and you've probably heard people preach on that over the years, seven statements. The one that really got their attention, especially this um, one thief or criminal, was in Luke 23, 34. Those unbelievably difficult-to-understand words of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And as I read it, I think, well, yeah, they do. They're killing you. Of course they do. They're, they're killing you. They're hanging you there, and they are murdering you. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? Well, we know as Christians, and we have to explain to people, because it's very difficult to say, and of course he knew what they were doing. But he was talking about the spiritual side. He was talking about the fact that, look, all these years I have been among them, showing them, living it out, and then finally revealing myself. I am their Messiah. They've waited on for a thousand years, for a long time, all the way going back. Well, actually, Jesus was promised in Genesis 3. Right, the the promises after the fall in Genesis three, the sin. There were three curses. 
There, were, there was a curse that God cursed Adam, and He cursed Eve, and He cursed Satan. But in those curses, He put a blessing in there that Eve's seed would finally crush Satan's head, right? And that's called a protoevangelium, protoevangelium, and that's the first prophecy of Christ found in Genesis 3. So all the way through all those thousands of years of history, and every single one from Abraham, their father on, pointed to Christ, or they were a type of Christ. And yet they were blind and they couldn't see, and, and they wouldn't see because they couldn't believe that anybody from Nazareth, and I don't know, it might be like where I'm from, somebody, somebody anybody from, who could, Anderson, South Carolina, oh my gosh, how could anybody good come out of Anderson, South Carolina, or whatever, pick a town, that, oh my gosh, what in the world good could come out of Nazareth, miserable little town up there in the middle of Galilee, in the middle of nowhere up there? You're telling me that's where Messiah's come from? Well, I'm not telling you that, that's just what prophecy said, right? But they didn't believe him. And yet he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And so Jesus died. He died. And, and one of my favorite verses, John, the apostle, the only one that was there. Right? John was the only one that was there at the cross. Now, we know in the garden, when we, when they, after all that happened, they arrested him. They all ran away, all of them. But at the cross, at crucifixion, Peter's still, you know, sneaking around somewhere, hiding and all that after all those denials. But John was there at the cross, close enough that Jesus could talk to him because he was there with Jesus' mother and his mother, and there were, I think, three Marys and a lot of conversation about that as well. But John was there. And so John said about Jesus in 1 John 2, 2, he's the atoning sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And here's the key, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world, the sins of the world. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And he died. He did. He died. But, but during that time, so we've got 9 to 12 and then 12 to 3, because at noon we know that the sky went black. And I'm going to get ahead of myself there. But this unrepentant criminal, this one guy on his right, we don't know which one was which. In Luke 23:39, as we keep reading that same passage, he said, this is the criminal hanging there with him, was hurling these insults with him, and, and he said directly, are you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. Save yourself and us. He just wanted to save his own miserable hide, right? There was nothing in there that was repentant, that owned it. You know, I've done a lot of prison ministry and mission ministry with people, men and women, of, of different walks of life. And one of the things, especially in prison, that you'll find is, if you took a poll and you have a big class and you say, okay, how many of you guys in here are innocent? How many of you guys are in here because it was somebody else's fault? <laughs> we used to get on our kids all the time because they were always, my youngest was a blamer. It was always somebody else's fault. Well, he got that from me. That genetically, I'm sorry, that's what I used to do all the time. Blame it on somebody else. And, and so it's never my fault. And um, as I was talking to the police officer that's uh, doing our security this morning, we're talking about that, um, that, you know, I said that, and by the way, there's a couple of books out there. There are my gift to you if you take one. In the book, there's more of a men's book I used to do a lot of men's ministry with, including this prison ministry. It talks about those that uh, are, they're sorry or repentant, and then those that are just sorry they got caught. And most of these guys fall on that thing. They're just sorry they got caught. <laughs> they're not sorry one bit. It's like our kids were like that a lot of times, right? They weren't sorry. Mine would say, oh, Dad, Dad, sorry, 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 because he thought that was going to keep me from spanking his behind. I'm sorry, Dad, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. He was not sorry. He just thought that if he said sorry enough, 
he would avoid getting grounded or spanked or whatever. He was not sorry in the least. He was just sorry that he got caught, and now he was in trouble. And that's the way it is with a lot of grown-ups today too, right? Well, it was with this thief. And, and this is interesting because there are no other words recorded from him. All he said was, look, if you're really who you say you are, then save us. Save you, save us too. Get us out of here. Deliver us. That's all he said. The only words that were recorded by him. No remorse, no anything else. And here's the sad part. He died in his sin. And according to the words of Jesus, his spirit immediately went to hell. I'm doing a series on death now in about the fifth week. And it's really been powerful and eye-opening for me. And just helping people understand, because we've been dealing with a lot of that in our community. Oh, my goodness. Um, Mike was here last night helping set up. His granddaughter was killed in a horrible car wreck back in December up in Mount Juliet. And uh, one of our good friends over in Little Rock, their two-year-old grandson, was had a horrible form of leukemia that they just couldn't do anything with. He, he went home to be with the Lord and just all these different things going on. And um, last week I preached on what happens with babies and children when they die to help people understand. And that was really good to say. That's available. Everything I've got is available on YouTube or our website, onlyjesus.life. Because that's real helpful to people, whether he's miscarried. You know, Jesus, we had three miscarriages and a stillbirth before we finally got our first live birth, as they call them. Some of you have been through that, and no people have. And just It's awful stuff, but it's a great lesson in that um, they are all immediately with the Lord. And um, so if you're interested in that, go see that. But this guy wasn't. Because when we die... Our, our physical bodies are in the ground. They are there. They rot, you know. But our spirits are immediately with the Lord. And we're going to see the confirmation of that in just a minute. Or they're immediately in hell. But that was his course. Because he refused, just like the rest of them did, to believe that Jesus was who he said he is. Okay. So now we have this other guy on the other side who had been doing the same thing. Cursing Jesus, making fun, mocking and at some point in time during those few hours, and perhaps some, while he was just watching all these things going on, or these words that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, and the words that Jesus kept uttering as he talked through that, this guy changed his mind. Changed his mind. And, and that whole repentance thing means that we, are, we change our minds about what we were thinking and believing. That's what the word metanoia is, is the uh, Greek word for, for repentance, metanoia. And it means to change your mind. Change your mind and then behave according to what you've changed your mind about. So that's what repentance really is. And for whatever reason, sometime during that, that whatever that time was, he did this. And so as we, as we read, here's what he said. The other criminal answered and rebuked the one across from him and said... Now again, remember, they just a few hours before had been both yelling, screaming, mocking, making fun of him, cursing him. Something changed. The Holy Spirit got a hold of him. And he said, do you not even, he said to the other criminal, not, he said, do you not even fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? It's kind of saying what I was, wait a minute, we're here dying too. <laughs> don't forget that part. We're hung up here to die as well. We're not getting down. You don't come off the cross once you're nailed up there, that's it. you're not coming down alive. He said, but, but we're suffering justly and receiving what we deserve for our deeds, for our sins. And this man hasn't done anything wrong. He's done nothing, nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
when you come into your kingdom. And as odd as that sounds, because it doesn't sound like a great sharing your faith with someone and getting the gospel out or some four spiritual laws or whatever, it's not going through all this stuff. <laughs> this guy just had a change of mind and heart on the cross in that period of time and, and reached out to Jesus to save him. And the reason we know it's genuine, because it can, you could really throw rocks at that and say, wait a second, time out, that's not real. In verse 43, Jesus looked at him and said, Truly today you will be with me in paradise. And that's the same word for heaven. You'll be with me in paradise. So that's how we know a couple of things. That's how we know, first of all, that when we die, our spirits, because we are body, soul, and spirit, and some believe just body and spirit, bipartite, tripartite. I taught on that a few weeks ago. Body dies, spirit immediately goes somewhere. Just does. Even pagan religions believe that, right? There's a separate thing. You know, we're a physical body, but in Genesis, we're created in the image of God, and that means that we're spirit beings. God is spirit. God said, I'm not a man that you can talk, you know, you can touch me or whatever. So Jesus came as a man so that we can, right? That's, what he, that's why he came, incarnate. Otherwise, the spirit thing, and that's why people, a lot of people lose it. They don't understand the spirit being. Now, they'll go to all kinds of goofy movies and exorcism and you know, all that kind of stuff that the spirit world, they're enamored by that. Why? Because we're spirit beings. We're spirit beings. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And so that's good news. But it is, it is just the words of Christ that confirm that when we die, we're immediately in heaven, our spirits. Now, the resurrection later on is when we talk about resurrection. We wrap this up. And then the rapture and all these things, if you believe in rapture, and I do. I mean, some churches don't. They just believe in the tribulation and then the second coming. But that's when our body and spirits are reunited, caught up in the air, as Paul said. But when we die, our spirits are immediately with him in heaven. One of the comments I want to make on that before we talk about um, the reason we're here, and that's resurrection, is you probably heard, you heard the term deathbed conversion. You ever heard of that, deathbed conversion? You know anybody that's had one? I, I, my, one of my grandfathers supposedly did. I, mean, I was pretty young. But this is one of those, and so they, they point to this guy as a deathbed conversion, that it is real and it can happen. And it's very true. It's absolutely the truth. The challenge that we have to look at and make sure if, if we're involved in that, and as a kind of pastor, Bible teacher guy, you know, I am and can be, but you can as well, is to make sure they understand the truth. Because sometimes people will, if they think they're dying, all of a sudden it hits them. They just, they want Jesus. They want, they want something that's going to, they want what I call fire insurance. They want fire insurance. And then God didn't sell fire insurance. Jesus ain't peddling fire insurance. You, you're not getting that. And so I've seen where people just, all of a sudden they're desperate. And they cry out, you know, hey, what, what, what time out? I believe, I believe Jesus is real. You know, get me in, get me in, get me in. You know, it isn't it genuine. It's not, there's no... It's just that last minute holding on here. We see this guy went through a repentant phase and called out to Jesus and recognized his sin. So we have to be mindful of that as we um, help people understand, um, look, th there needs to be that repentance and that um, receiving Christ, believing he is who he said he is in John 3.16, the, the things that we sometimes take for granted. But it's so important that we... We help people understand that. One of my favorite verses in helping people go back and challenge that, and he'll challenge you with it as well, as I've challenged my family. We sat down a number of months ago when the Lord put this evangelism thing on my heart. 
in 2 Corinthians 7.10, there's a verse that tied into one of the chapters in my new book on the prodigal son, because this is how you know. I mean, Paul said, listen, there's a God, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, he said there's a godly sorrow that produces repentance without regret that leads to salvation, right? Godly sorrow, that means I realize who I am, what I am, apart from Christ, that I am just stinking lost in my sin, and it breaks my heart, it breaks my heart, and then I want to receive Christ, because I understand what he did for me and who I am apart from him. It's that godly sorrow that produces repentance without regret, because then you don't look back. You know, if you repent, you're not looking back. You don't regret it at all. Man, I'm not sorry at all. What I'm sorry about is I didn't do it sooner. Right? I'm sorry I didn't do it sooner. I wasted all these years. I'm so sorry about that. Oh, Lord, I wasted all those years. But Jesus said, don't look back. Don't look back. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Produces death. People are, ultimately will be sorry for things that they did or whatever. The question is, are they sorry in a way that they understand the relationship between Christ and sin and forgiveness and repentance? And all those things, because as we know in John 14, 6, that's the only way he looks at it, right? That's the only way he looks at it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You want to be called a bigot and a, I don't know, I call things now, I don't even know what the words mean anymore. They've made up all these new words, misogynist and a this and a that. I don't know what these things mean, but we're that if we're Christians because we're saying what Jesus said, that he's the only way. That can't possibly be right. I mean, then Jesus is a bigot. He's a He's all these things, and you see, that's what the lost world does, right? That's what the lost world does. And we just need to keep pointing them to the cross. And so finally, we get down to that very last part. That's why we're here. And I'm going to read this in 1 Corinthians 15. Some of Paul's, I love this, some of Paul's best writing here. 1 Corinthians 15. I've got it here, but I don't have all of it. So I want to read it all. Paul's talking about resurrection. They're arguing with him that there's no resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees did not. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. I'm in verse 13, chapter 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And moreover, we're found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he didn't raise him, in fact, he's not raised, we're not raised. Nobody's raised. In verse 16, it says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And this is one of my favorite, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins, and then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And verse 19, And if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are most of all to be pitied. <laughs> we are pitiful. I love that. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, if this resurrection is nonsense, we're just pitiful. And we are. We're wasting our time. I'm wasting my time up here. And you're wasting your time sitting here. And you're wasting your time watching. So here's my invitation. For those of you who are watching, and you just somehow stumbled across this, and you have no idea why, and you have rejected God, you've rejected Jesus, you've rejected people like me all of your life. My plea, as it always is, is this. Do not... Do not turn this off. Stop watching, listening, reading, however you're receiving it. Don't do that. 
without understanding that this message was for you and that this Easter, this celebration, this Resurrection Sunday is for you, that Christ died for you. John said that. Jesus said that. He died for you. But you have to be like that cross, that the thief on the cross that repented and said, Lord, take me with you. I realize what I've done, who I am apart from you. Take me with you. That's what you have to do. Because understand this, and this is not any kind of scare tactic thing. I, I may be the very last person, the last Bible teacher, the last evangelist that God sends to you. I may be the last one. Because there's a time when God finally says enough. And so my plea, and I'm begging you, is to not turn this off and turn away without bowing your knee and confessing your sin and receiving Christ. I pray you do that today. I pray you do that today. And those of us who are born again in Christ, we just shout hallelujah. We want to celebrate it. And more than anything else, we want to go tell someone. We want to go tell someone. The Word of God says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It is time, Christians, that we stand up and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Father God, thank you for your Word. Your Word is truth. And thank you for this beautiful, wonderful Resurrection Sunday that we celebrate this. We're so thankful. We're so thankful for what you did. We're so thankful. We just, we can't say it enough. We can't utter enough. So let us live our lives in accordance to your word and the life of Christ that some might be saved. For Christ's sake, amen. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.